Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. So I finally made a post on Instagram about the Game Changers documentary. I kind of feel like at this point, it's just beating a dead horse. And I really, I've been avoiding answering questions on it. Honestly, I've been getting questions for the podcast. I've been getting questions on my Instagram story Q and A's. And I've just been ignoring them because uh, I just, I honestly feel like it's just beating a dead horse. I think there's enough great nutritionists out there that are providing great explanations and kind of debunking the process. I mean, Christian Thibodeau wrote a debunking uh, Lane Norton did a debunking stronger by science did a debunking like it's just been just constantly hammering out which is great I think everybody has different slightly different audiences um, I've just been personally kind of referring people to other places I'm like hey this is what my thoughts are as well I wouldn't I would use the same research to back up my claims as this person did I would make the same arguments so you should just check this out but I finally did one just because I I was going through my pictures and I found one that my photographer took that I just look like so the best word that comes to mind is doofus. <laughs> I look like a doofus, which is not a word I typically use, but that's what comes to mind when I look at it. And as soon as I looked at this picture, I literally was like game changers. <laughs> that's what came to mind. So I was like, I'm going to post this and I'm just going to say game changers. And that's all I'm going to leave it at. And then of course, once I wrote that, I was like, well, I got to kind of add a few things. So I added kind of my thoughts on it. Um, and people have been commenting, people have been DMing me. And the, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I, I just want to say, you know, there's some people that have been even saying, like, I can't believe people are like, because one of the things I mentioned was like, hey, don't prescribe your nutrition based on a Netflix documentary. Like your diet should not be according to what a Netflix documentary shows because it, it, documentaries are, if we look at the like psychology and marketing behind a documentary, the goal isn't necessarily to educate individuals on how to create better health or optimal results. It's usually an approach to steer people into one direction. It's, it is propaganda. It is a way to state your claim and, and kind of have one biased opinion. Um, and I think it's hard because they look at research in their own context with uh, confirmation bias, meaning they read research and they interpret it in a way that favors the outcome they want it to favor, which is not the correct way to do so. Uh, but that's kind of what documentaries are built to do. Like if you watch conspiracy theory documentaries, it, it's about getting you to believe that conspiracy, not being rational, which is fine. Sometimes it's really fun to watch those things. But the reason I'm saying this is because people – I've heard this many times. I've seen this on other people's posts, people commenting on mine, people DMing me this, like saying, I can't believe people are doing this. I can't believe people are watching this. I can't believe people are actually believing this. And the thing I just have to say is the people that quote unquote can't believe people are buying into this, you are coaches. 
you are like me. You listen to podcasts, you research, you coach individuals, you study this, you're certified, you've done schooling. You shouldn't believe these things. You should know a bad diet when you see one. However, the general population isn't going to know that. So what I'm saying is we need to emphasize or empathize with these individuals. We need to have empathy for the general population clients and individuals out there who see this documentary, who watch it and get worried about what they are consuming because they don't know better. And that's okay. You know, like I always use like the plumber analogy. If a plumber came into my house to fix something and looked at me like I was stupid, I would be offended. I'm not a plumber. (laughs) I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And he should understand that. He should empathize with me. That's why he's in my house. That's why I'm paying him to fix something. He should empathize with the fact that this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know why his toilet is broke. So I'm going to fix it. He doesn't know why his sink pipes are broke. So I'm going to fix it. That's what I do. So I just think that like for the coaches out there, like you should not be looking down upon anybody who is buying into this whatsoever because the reality is is they don't do this for a living. Um, And it's our job to educate and empathize, not embarrass or try to belittle somebody for believing something it's a very convincing documentary if you if you watch the documentary it's really well made it's a a very i didn't watch the whole thing but it's a very well produced has a lot of money backing it up so it makes sense they did a really good job making the film um, and I highly suggest everybody, I'll link it in the show notes, highly suggest everybody go check out uh, Chris Cresser finally jumped on Joe Rogan's podcast and did a review on it. And of course, Chris Cresser slaughtered that. Um, so I, I highly suggest everybody jump on and watch that if you're curious about like the reality behind this kind of stuff. Um, so I just had to throw that out there before we get into the questions just because uh, I've been getting asked about it so much um, and I will not answer any more questions on it because I just think it's being a dead horse. And at the end of the day, like we all decide what we put in our mouths. Um, a vegan diet isn't the healthiest diet. A carnivore diet isn't the healthiest diet. Um, what's healthiest is what you can follow consistently, what can keep you in a good caloric balance and what can allow you to get all the vitamins and minerals you need in order to support life and whatever expenditure or activity or athletic endeavor you are chasing. So I will say a vegan diet isn't the best, most optimal diet for athletes or for building as much muscle or or getting as shredded as possible. It's not. doesn't mean you can't do it. And if ethically that's what you choose to do, that's totally fine. That's not my mouth. And I will coach and provide information, education to anybody who decides to be vegan. Um, It's just not what I choose. Therefore, I feel that nobody has the right to put anybody else down for what they choose to eat. It's, that's just weird. It's, it's just not right. Like I had, you can be in any type of diet that you want to be in, support that, live that, preach that, educate people on that and and do whatever you need to do inside of that. But don't put people down who are not in that. It's just not right. It's just, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's not, if we're, especially if you're choosing to be vegan for ethical purposes, well, you have the ethical responsibility to not put down people who are not choosing that way as well. Um, and, and the same goes for people who like really talk down on vegans. It's like, you have no right to do that. That's their fucking choice. Like let them do what they want to do. Um, so I, I really empathize with both sides and I just think that people need to be more neutral. Like everybody needs to stay in their own lane, do what they need to do, find what's right for them and just stay consistent with that period end of story so um that's my little rant for today um now let's uh let's get into the questions and and we have a lot of questions today so shout out to everybody who has been using the boom boom uh the ask boom boom forum or forum thing um 
I got a new form and it looks cool. <laughs> we made it kind of official. So there's a form in the description and it's called Ask Boom Boom and uh, you can fill it out. You don't get added to anything. So basically what I do is um, you have to put your email in order to fill it out just because our system won't allow us to not have an email because it's an email based form um, application. So when I get it, I basically delete your email and just take your name, take your question and I will answer on the podcast. But we have a lot of questions and they're all from that. Um, I think, I think they're all from that except one. We have one from Instagram that I pulled because I just told her this would be better ass answered on, on the podcast. Anyway, uh, the first question comes from Andrea Recrut. Hi, I listened to your podcast on reverse dieting and found it very informative. So I will link that in the show notes if you guys haven't heard that. Um, I hope that didn't confuse anybody. Because it was a it was it was a podcast I felt like I was jumping back and forth on a little bit because although sometimes I agree with the application of reverse dieting, sometimes I do not agree, and I think that people over glorify it or create false claims about what it can produce or um, glamorize these hyper responders in their before and afters and, and give people false hope, or they just baby the process too slow. And, and I think it's better to take an aggressive approach at the beginning, bump calories up to a quote unquote new maintenance that you believe is there and then try to reverse diet from there. But anyway, uh, nonetheless, she listened to that and she found it very informative. And then she said, I've been in a cut since the end of June and I'm starting to re- reverse diet. How do you know what your maintenance macros are? When I started, I weighed 127 pounds at five foot three, and now I am 117.5 pounds. Well done. I've been consistent at these macros for most of the four months, minus a few refeeds, 127 carb, 50 fat, 125 protein. Thanks for your help. Um, Okay, so one way to know what your true maintenance is, is your refeeds. So depending on you, what your refeed structure was, um, that can kind of determine your maintenance. So something I like to do along the way during a diet is not take single day refeeds, spread them out a little bit more. So maybe every two weeks, every three weeks and do two to three day refeeds at least. Um, so it's more of a quote unquote diet break. But what I can do with this is I bring your calories up to what I think maintenance is via carbohydrates on those refeed days. And that allows me to kind of see where your body can actually maintain weight. So if we take a three-day diet break and you increase your carbs, let's say you're eating, so you said you're eating, excuse me, 125 protein, 50 fat, 127 carb. Let's say you bring your carbs up to 185 on your refeed days. And you do that for two days in a row. You Your weight jumps up like one or two pounds from just more carbohydrates, pulling in a little bit of water, and then it drops right back down after a day or two. Well, now I know that you're, you literally just – increased weight due to water storage and that's a good maintenance but let's say we test things and we bring it to 195 and then 200 and we just kind of test the levels with your refeed days now when we're like okay we're ready to reverse diet um, the first step i'm going to do is probably just bring your daily intake right up to that 185 because i know that you're going to gain a pound or two but it's just going to be muscle glycogen water which actually will probably make you look better because oftentimes what happens is you increase carbohydrates to a quote unquote new maintenance and you bring in more carbs that brings in more water all that is stored in the muscle cells so you weigh a little bit more but your muscles are fuller your performance is better your energy expenditure probably goes up a little bit and you just look tighter you look more more filled out it's a positive thing um so that's an easy way. If you've been doing diet breaks and refeeds along the way during your diet, it's a really easy tool to just say, hey, like I've been at the tail end, my, my 
refeed days were 185 grams, and I would gain a couple pounds after those. Well, we might go 175, 170, just a little bit below that since it's not going to be two days. It's going to be every day. But what you're doing in this reverse is you're taking an immediate jump up in calories. Um, I don't like to say, hey, first jump should be 500 calories. I don't like to say it should be 10%, anything like that. Um, I'm going to link Andy Morgan article. He wrote a really good article on that. Uh, but I think that like, that's a good approach is to go, okay, like where were my refeeds at? I'm going to drop my calories just below. And I actually, I have somebody I'm doing this with right now. So his refeed days were at, I think 265 when we would do them, we'd do two to three refeed days in a row. And we just started his reverse. My first initial bump was like right to 225 carbs and he was down to like 160 grams of carbs. So it's a good jump. He feels good, but it's not to his, what I think is true maintenance is. So I still have some wiggle room, but I'm playing it safe. I don't want him to gain too much weight. And I know that a, a two day total caloric intake is different than a weekly, a full week caloric intake, right? So if his refeed days were only two days long at that 265, I might not want to test the limit and bring every single day up to 265. Rather, I'll just bring... Uh, his calories up to 225, a little bit less, but enough to make him feel good. So we kind of take this point where we have our ideal maintenance, 265, let's say for this guy, and um, our current diet, 160 for this guy, and we go right in the middle, 225. Playing a safe bet, we know it's not so much that you're going to gain a bunch of fat. We know it's enough to make you feel way better and close to 100% normal again. And we're kind of in that ballroom where we still have room to build up, possibly. But also, if if you hit it on the dot and metabolic adaptation did its job when you lost weight, your total caloric expenditure dropped as well because that's what happens when you get smaller. You have less mass to move, therefore you burn more calorie, burn less calories moving day to day. Neat you might have hit it on the dot being right in the middle. So it's kind of a it's kind of a guessing game. Um, but you can also, I mean, the other idea too is just to start building up. Like so if you are good with 127 carb, 50 fat, 125 protein, I would probably bump protein up higher. Um, I find that with smaller women, 135 grams a day is usually pretty ideal. And the reason I say that is because it allows me to have a little bit more protein per meal, which helps satiation, helps thermic effect of food to burn more calories. And it just helps us ensure that we're actually hitting the muscle protein synthesis response of the meal. Um, so I might bump you up to 150 carb, 50 fat, 135 protein, wait a week or two, and then bump you up again, bump you up again, and just kind of take a pretty fast approach to get you till you're like, I feel really good, right? So when somebody gets done with the show, I'll make a big aggressive jump wait a week. If they're not feeling great again, I'll keep going. And I don't really care too much about the weight. I want to get them to a point where they're like, yeah, I'm starting to feel normal again. Guys, they're starting to have libido and, and wake up with, you know what, and uh, girls, you're just starting to have more mental clarity. Uh, hopefully menstrual cycle is still going, but if it wasn't, maybe that's coming back, things like that. Um, those are the, probably the two ways I would go about it. And I think with you, you're, you're good too, because you, you're, you did a diet for four months, 16 weeks. It's not terribly long. So you're not going to be experiencing insane adaptations that are really bugging you. This one had to have been from Instagram because it's one word, Jen Boxer Burger, Jen Box Burger. Yeah. Jen Box Burger. Hi Cody. I just found your page and podcast. Love all your content and wish I would have found it sooner. If you have a chance, I was wondering, I feel, sometimes I feel weird reading these. So I'm sorry that I feel like as a formal podcaster, I should probably remove that and go right to the question. But I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I don't read these, some of these before. I just copy and paste them right into the Google Doc that we use. And then I go from there. So I apologize that I am uh, giving myself kudos by reading these. Uh, but I appreciate it. So I love it when when they say I love your content. That makes makes me really happy. 
if you have a chance, I was wondering if you could please answer a question for me. I can do that, Jen Boxberger. That is what I do. After months of what feels like constant dieting, I want to reverse up to maintenance and beyond. Before I could get up early, work out, and stay busy, not eating until 12 or 1. Hunger wasn't really an issue. Now that I am eating breakfast much earlier and more food, I feel hungry off and on all day more so than when I was dieting. Is this normal? Does it mean my metabolism is firing up or my hunger hormones are totally jacked up? I just want to make sure I'm heading in the right direction. Thanks for all you do. Um, so with this... I think there's a few things going on here. Number one this is a really interesting study, and you guys will hear a podcast that we talk about this with Danny Lennon here soon from Sigma Nutrition. Really cool interview. Um, but we talk about a study that was done that it basically was partitioning calories in different parts of the day. So you had one group that was eating the majority of their calories in the morning and one group that was eating the majority of the calories at night. Um, and the group that ate more calories in the morning burned more calories throughout the day. And this is a calorie-controlled setting. So they were essentially able to maintain their weight on more calories once shifting most of their calories to the morning. Now, why is this? Well, the theory is when you do intermittent fasting, you're not consuming or like, I mean, I don't know if you realize you were doing intermittent fasting, but it sounds like you were. You weren't eating until 12 1. If you eat very little in the morning or you eat uh, nothing in the morning, what you are doing is you are not giving your body any fuel to provide energy to do things. So subconsciously, what we're doing by eating a big breakfast or eating a majority of our calories in the morning is we are giving our body the fuel to do more. So like like basically what this led to is the people consuming more calories in the morning ended up consuming more calories throughout the day, but they maintained their weight just as well as the people who were not eating breakfast or not eating most of their calories in the morning. The, the other group was eating most of their calories at night. So calories controlled, weight maintenance program, they maintained their weight on more calories because they were eating a bigger breakfast. Like that's pretty crazy. That's a pretty cool study to show. And it makes sense. We eat food. Our body is like, let me do something with it. So basically that group ate 400 more calories per day, but they ended up burning 400 more calories per day through NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So my thought process with you, Jen, is that you switch to eating in the morning. You're eating a big breakfast. Your body is naturally doing more throughout the day, whether you realize it or not, standing, walking, talking, moving, so on and so forth, probably even burning more calories during your workout. And because of that, your body is hungrier. So you are trying to eat more food because your body is burning more calories. And it makes sense. So I would just go with it. I would, if you're making that big of a change, your maintenance calories is probably going to change a little bit. So I would probably just allow yourself to eat a little bit more food. I don't think anything with your hunger hormones is jacked up. I think it's normal. And I think it's actually, uh, you are going in the right direction. I think it's a good thing. Um, and I would definitely do that. One, you're burning more calories and eating more food. Those are both very positive things. And number two, if you're training in the morning, I really don't like intermittent fasting with that. I think it's just a, a good way to put more stress on your body and limit your ability to recover. Johanna. Hey, Cody. So I recently discovered your podcast when I first listened to the last episode with Christopher Barricat. That is my man. Really enjoyed that. I'm going to link that episode in the podcast. Um, really good dude. Anyway, I've been enjoying your other, other episodes a lot. You mentioned something about how to create a routine with bodybuilding and CrossFit. I do both and like both. I do bodybuilding because I enjoy it and I like reaching my body comp goals and I do CrossFit to feel strong and fit and for more high-intensity cardio. So what's the best way to combine for both body composition and gain strength and how to eat for it? Another question. Okay, we'll go to these first. Um, so – how to combine it. The first thing I'm going to recommend is the best way to combine it is always having a structured program around it. And, and the best way to do that is actually to join the elite. Um, 
the elite is my membership site. So shameless plug, but inside the membership site, we offer programs that partner and couple with, uh, CrossFit programming really well. So they're like two or three day programs that are bodybuilding focused programs, but that are built around the idea of knowing somebody's doing CrossFit. In fact, we're getting ready to add in uh, a new program into True Coach that is just that. It's a CrossFit accessory program. So it's basically bodybuilding for your non CrossFit days. And the best way to do this is have a two to three, uh, two thirds ratio of your dominant. Uh, goal. So if you're more focused on body composition, two thirds of your training should be bodybuilding. One third should be CrossFit. If your dominant uh, passion or goal is to get better at CrossFit or perform better, so on and so forth, then I think two thirds of your programming should be CrossFit. And I actually think there's a lot of people that would benefit from, even if they don't care about their aesthetics, they just want to do CrossFit. I actually think there's a lot of people that would benefit from doing just two thirds of their programming being CrossFit and one third of it being functional bodybuilding because it allows you to work on weak points and balances, um, high, build hypertrophy in muscles that aren't getting touched inside of CrossFit. Um, CrossFit is very anterior dominant sport. So doing things like horizontal pulling and band pull aparts and um, some, some more like controlled hip hinging, like hip thrust, some single leg work, that kind of stuff is going to be really, really helpful inside of CrossFit and it's going to help you not get injured. It's going to help you remove imbalances and actually get stronger for it. So I think the best way is to split up your, your training in two-thirds, do two-thirds bodybuilding, two-thirds CrossFit. I typically prefer um, you doing full body bodybuilding because I think if you're doing upper lower, it, it can lead to you going into a CrossFit workout like like if you do a lower body day and then you come into the gym and your wad has a lot of legs or heavy squats or cleans or anything, you're fucked. <laughs> like it's going to be very difficult to perform well. So I prefer to have like let's say you have three CrossFit days and two bodybuilding days per week. Like your bodybuilding days are going to be full body and they're going to be all isolation work. It's all going to be a seven to eight RPE. So you're not going to failure. It's more about like activating and creating tension and, and exploring new functional ranges of motion while really keeping tension in the muscle, um, enhancing the stretch shortening cycle. So really like focusing on the form and, and the range of motion through a muscle as you're performing, finding that mind muscle connection, so on and so forth. Um, but that's like the big thing there is I, I think like three days of CrossFit, two days of, of bodybuilding or three days of bodybuilding, two days of CrossFit. I think those are the two best splits and it kind of depends on what your main goal is. I think the bodybuilding should be full body and I think it should be an RPE of seven to eight, not going anything to max and it should be mainly isolation, um, no compounds. Um, and if there is compounds, it's like uh, very minimal and it's ones that you're not going to touch inside of CrossFit. So probably like a bench press, to be honest with you. And then if you're doing any compound for the lower body, it's going to be a unilateral. So most likely it should be... Um, Maybe a front squat, but you're most likely doing a lot of front squats and back squats in CrossFit. Um, maybe a trap bar deadlift or a uh, elevated deadlift, sumo deadlift, but more likely like a split squat or a barbell step up, something like that. Um, and then how to eat for it, it depends on your goals. Um, are you jumping into it like, hey, I want to do a little bit more bodybuilding um, instead of just CrossFit because I want to lose weight, because I want to build muscle? It's just, it's, I'm going to control your, your calories and your macros based on that. You're most likely going to be on a higher carb, higher protein, low to moderate fat diet. And, uh, just to support faster digestion and just more carbs in the diet to fuel performance and, and recovery. Um, and obviously you have tapped out glycogen stores because you're doing both high rep volume bodybuilding and very high glycolytic CrossFit. So you're going to need a ton of carbohydrates. Um, I'm probably going to optimize nutrient time quite a bit because if you're doing this, you're probably a pretty serious lifter and I do find merit in optimizing 
pre and post workout nutrition, possibly intra workout nutrition for people who are more serious. Um, but otherwise, I'm going to control your calories just like any other athlete, right? It just depends on your goals. Um, and then you said, another question is, what advice could you give me as a nutrition coach and a personal trainer who wants more education and is struggling to be surrounded by the right people who are just as passionate? I have my gym environment, but I feel like they are not as into the education of exercise science as I am. Thanks again for all the good info through your podcast. So I would suggest first to go to conferences and seminars and stuff like that. Um, I'm getting pretty excited to go speak at the Impact Collective Jason Phillips event um, here in December in Arizona. Uh, it's a full weekend. I'm pumped for that. I'm going to be able to speak and um, probably going to be the, the biggest crowd I've gotten the chance to speak in front of ever, honestly. So I'm really, really excited about that. It's going to be really cool. A lot of cool people. Um, I have another one in, in March in Eugene, Oregon. I think Joel Jameson and a couple other people. I, I will be announcing more and more of that. Um, I got to get my dates right. It is in my calendar and I am confirmed, but um, would love to see some people out there at both of these events. Um, I don't know. Some of you guys will be at the Impact Collective, so I'm excited to meet you. But however, I would go to events. I, I mean, I'm still doing this. I just went to the RP Summit in Philadelphia. I flew across the country to hang out with Austin Kern and Matt McLeod and, uh, and go to the RP Summit. So I'm still to this day going to as many seminars and workshops as I can. I took a little hiatus from it just because I had my daughter and she was in her first year um, of growing. So I, I wanted to be around the house more just in case. But now that she's getting older and a little bit more dependent, I can, I can start to travel a little bit more. So I'm going to be doing more of it. But that's the biggest way. Like I, in 2017, I think I traveled every month. Like it was just like, what seminars are there? What workshops are there? What webinars can I get? What books can I read? Like you can seek out education better than you are probably lending yourself to be able to do. So I would first challenge you to just seek out more education. The, the second challenge would be go travel places. You have to force yourself into those situations. So I, I didn't grow up with a bunch of fitness freaks as friends. Like I had to go seek out gym owners and trainers and nutritionists and people who were smarter than me and people who had the same passions as me, uh, people across the country and, and talk to them and start conversations with them and do things like that because that was the only way I was going to be able to surround myself with the individuals I needed to in order to elevate myself as a coach and as a uh, educator inside the fitness and nutrition space. So that would be my recommendation. Um, I think like being in a gym is great and you have that community, but you should be seeking out a mentor. You should be seeking out a coach. Like if you're a coach and you don't have a coach, why? <laughs> I think that's like rule number one as a coach. Like you should be being coached in some area of your life. Um, and I think most people should choose training or nutrition and you should have a coach in that. I do. Like you should have somebody that holds you accountable of, of achieving your training and nutrition goals that is uh, supporting you that you can have conversations with every week, which is really like a cool aspect of it is you're checking in, you're quizzing them, you're asking them questions, you're, you're having a dialogue with them, you're learning from them because everybody does it differently. Even to this day, like I still have a coach because everybody teaches this stuff differently. Um, and I don't think I'm ever going to be so advanced that I won't have a coach. Um, and I say it all the time, I have more than one coach. So for you, I would, I would hire a mentor or a coach. I would go seek out more seminars and travel if you need to, and then just push yourself to actually educate. I mean, there's literally so many seminars, webinars, workshops, courses, certifications, books, um, Facebook forums. I mean, there's so much stuff that you can do. Um, the education is, is never endless. Grady. Hey, Cody, I was wondering if you could express your thoughts on how to implement bodybuilding for someone that does CrossFit regularly. Thanks for all your content. I, 
as I told you guys, I don't, I don't vet these questions first. I probably should. Um, but Grady, I already answered the question. Um, I answered it for Jen Boxberger, and I let her know exactly how to implement bodybuilding for someone who does CrossFit regularly. Probably full body, probably two to three days a week in combination of your CrossFit. Um, if you're more serious about CrossFit, let CrossFit be uh, two to three to, uh, two-thirds of your volume. So uh, that'll be three days a week, and then bodybuilding two days a week. Take two rest days um, and or like restorative days. So you're doing like light, light cardio. Um, but yeah, I'm glad I answered that question for you. Amantha Yoshida. Love the podcast content, Cody. Thank you. I'm currently in the Built For You program. What are the differences between the Built For You program and the Boom Boom Elite program? Thanks. Yeah. Um, so the difference is, is Built For You is a product. So Built For You is a one time you buy the book uh, and that's that. Now, I will say the book is centered around giving you a program that you can follow. I would say most people will follow this program probably for at least nine weeks, but upwards of, I mean, realistically 16 weeks to 24 weeks. You can adjust it quite a bit of different ways, so it can really suit you for up to six months to be completely transparent. Now, everybody's individual, so some people need more variation, uh, need different training splits more frequently. Um, Other people do really well with sticking to the same thing over and over again. It's hard for me to say because I don't know you personally. But uh, Built For You is, is kind of a program that says, hey, here's your outline. Choose your exercises within these lists. So it has drop-down menus that give you – like if it says angled horizontal push, it's going to give you a landmine press, an incline bench press, a single-arm dumbbell incline, like different options there, right? If it says um, compound hip hinge, it's going to give you sumo deadlift, um, trap bar deadlift, conventional deadlift, uh, elevated deadlift. Like there's different things. If it says – um, unilateral knee dominant, it's going to give you Bulgarian split squat, elevated split squat, reverse lunge, walking lunge, like a bunch of different options. So you actually can change those accessory movements and those exercise selections every two to four weeks. And it keeps adjusting and adapting. Um, and it gives you the option of four or six days per week. So there's a lot inside of it. And, and it's, and it's, it's a done for you program essentially. But on top of that, there's a whole entire section of the book dedicated to educating you on the why behind all this stuff. So why do you need to pay attention to volume, intensity, and frequency? Uh, why does exercise selection and variation matter? How do those things differ individual to individual? What is periodization? What is RPE? How do you implement these things? How do you read the program for these things? So there's a lot of different things on all of that um, inside the book. So it's kind of like a like a program, but with the added benefit of teaching you why I do what I do the way I do inside the program. So you can learn and adapt and adjust and start creating your own programs. So it's an education-based program for you. The Boom Boom Elite is a monthly membership. This is kind of the um, – this to me is the, the best, the most ideal situation. I am taking all the research, taking all the science, taking all my experience, and I'm creating programs based on what – I see people do best with full body, upper lower splits, push pull legs, all these different things, specialization cycles, um, and I implement them into this. There's also True Coach, so it's a way that you can access software to coach with me literally and have ongoing programs that are updated and adjusted and periodized as the weeks go on, and it gives you a software to easily access it. So the Elite is more of like, hey, like you want somebody to take care of your programming, you want it to be periodized properly, you want it to be intelligently uh, manipulated and adjusted along the way, and you don't want to pay an arm and leg for it. That's what the elite is. The elite is only $59 a month and you literally get access to all my, my training design. 
period. Um, and it's pretty easily customizable and I help people do that. And there's also a, a private live Q and A every week in the private Facebook group. Um, you can ask me questions about your form and I can help you critique. You get my eBooks, uh, as a part of that, the group, most of them, almost all of them. Um, you get access to my, all my seminars I do. I record them and I post them in there. You get access to some presentations I've done, some, uh, interviews I've done with other individuals that are only in there. They're not on my podcast, not on my YouTube. There's a lot of extra educational content inside of there. Um, but nonetheless, the, the, the main thing with the elite is it's a culture, it's a community, and it's a way for you to get done for you program every single day of the week without you having to think twice of it. So it really allows you to kind of have a coach without paying for a coach. So we, we noticed that the nutrition clients that work with us, the ones that get the best results typically are inside the elite. Um, obviously we work with a lot of coaches that also have trainers. They also go to CrossFit and those individuals doing their own thing, get amazing results too. But the individuals who are doing nutrition and just kind of guessing in the gym versus the individuals who are doing nutrition and the elite, it's, it's astronomical. So um, it allows us to periodize things and, and kind of combine things properly with your training. So I highly recommend the elite. It's linked in the description. If you guys want access, it's the cheapest way to get expert um, programming that's actually intelligently programmed and periodized without you having to second guess your own work or do anything yourself, really. Alexandra Katz. Hi, I am a big fan of the podcast and I have a question for you that I feel like hasn't really been answered yet, although I haven't listened to every episode, so I might be wrong. There is a lot of episodes. Actually, funny story. This is actually, a re- <laughs> I was talking about this on, uh, we do a group call with, um, I mentor some coaches and we have a group call every other week, um, weeks in between we do private calls, but um I had the one with my guys today, tomorrow's with my girls, and uh, I brought this up because it was a good concept. We were talking about like patience and and really understanding your message and and just being very consistent. And this applies to all aspects of life. Like if you are following a new nutrition plan, if you are tracking your macros, if you are in a training program, nothing is going to show tremendous results or very clear and obvious results, meaning it's not going to jump out at you and and you're not going to see that uh, absurd success without really putting in the time and effort. It takes long consistency. And the same thing goes with content and, and coaching and becoming um, a specialist. And, and, this, and the example I was using is I do one thing. Really, I do two things. I educate and I coach. And I'm really passionate about those things. And I've been doing those things for a long time. And I'm not confused on what I do. So I'm not the type of coach that you will find that does a million different things or works with different niches or specializes in all these different things. I'm a very general dude who helps a lot of different people. I don't specialize in one thing because honestly, I've studied them all. We do have individuals who are in CrossFit, who are in bodybuilding. We help people get on stage. We help moms and dads. We coach gym owners. We coach people who have never been to the gym. We coach advanced lifters. We coach people who just walk. We coach people that have autoimmune-related issues. We, we really do work with so many individuals, and I'm very passionate about that, um, about being able to say, like, I am just a coach, and I'm a really good coach, and that's all I do. And I educate people for free, and then I coach people as my job. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because you said I haven't listened to every episode. So I was, my mom was over last night and she was like, I was trying to catch up on uh, your podcast, but I went to pull it up and I saw episode 334 and I realized that it's just not going to happen. And I started laughing and she was like, but I was catching up on your newsletters and I was reading this one and she pulled it up and it was, it was so cool. It was a newsletter from 2015, so four years ago. And I saw her inbox where she has them saved and it's like, all just my newsletters. So like bless her heart. But it was literally like every day of that week. Like I've been writing frequent newsletters every, like, I mean, three plus days a week back then it was daily. Now it's four times a week. 
uh, for, I mean, she showed me a big list from 2015, but I know it was even before that. So four years ago for this example, and it was talking about some stuff that I'm still preaching today. Like one of them was like the three, uh, exercise you can never, uh, not do or something like that, or you have to be doing. And one of them was band pull aparts, for example, it was like basically like posterior chain stuff. So like it was educating on pushing or pulling more than pushing and, and training the posterior chain things. I still talk about to this day. But it was just so cool to see because it's like that is consistency and that's what matters. Like find what you're passionate about and find what you're really good at and find what works for you and just do that shit and do it for a long time and just keep doing it. Like there's nothing more important than that. Uh, But anyway, you may not have listened to every episode and that's okay. But your question is I was a competitive swimmer in high school. I pretty much ate like crap and only did cardio and bodyweight exercise as my training. I was what you might describe as skinny fat. I was by no means overweight, but just looked a little soft overall. The summer before I came to college, I got really into weight training. I followed a hypertrophy-based upper-lower split program and did hit cardio about twice a week. I had good success doing this. I was eating about maintenance calories, but I was still able to profit from the newbie gains, and I put on a lot of new muscle. Then I started my first year of college and fell in love with running. I lost a fair amount of body fat and I'm very happy with where my body is right now. I'm currently running hard about three days a week with one or or two recovery runs thrown in throughout the week. Very happy with where my body is right now. So with that long-winded background, I have finally reached the crux of my question. How much strength training do I need to do per week to maintain the muscle mass I already have? While I don't hate strength training, the type of exercise I really enjoy right now is running, but I'm scared I am going to lose the muscle I have worked for the past six months to build. Hope that is enough information for you to be able to answer, but feel free to contact me if you need any clarification. Thanks so much. Keep up the content. So Alex, I would say that it is far less than you realize. <laughs> the, the studies show that the amount of training we actually need to put our body through in order to maintain our muscle tissue is actually very low. It's kind of crazy, um, surprisingly low. So what we call MV, maintenance volume, um, is, is extremely low. You basically just have to make sure you're doing something to activate your muscles. Um, so what I would recommend to you is you were doing uh, upper lower split. So I would say you could literally cut your volume in half. You could continue to do upper lower split and you could just periodize differently. Um, there's two ways to do this. If you want to do an upper lower split, you could do start the day with heavy low rep lifting and then finish the day with higher rep accessory isolation work on each day. Or you could do it where week one, it's like all more relatively low rep, um, heavy lifting, kind of strength based. And then week two is more hypertrophy, higher rep, dynamic work. Week three, you're back to strength and you kind of alternate. So you take a four-day week upper lower split program. For example, functional muscle, this is a perfect one for it. And instead of it being four days a week, it's four days every two weeks. So you do day one, day two, week one, day three, day four, week two. And you just kind of cycle back and forth. So the program takes you twice as long. Um, Or you can do full body. And full body is just going to be able to increase frequency a little bit. Um, but what I would say with you too is like your your training, your exercise selection has to be specific. So since you're running a lot, you have to remember you're, you're training your calves basically every time you run. So don't add any calf volume inside your uh, resistance training. You're training your hip flexors and your quads quite a bit. So pretty minimal uh, quad training inside of your, your programming, I would still do some form of squat just because you should be squatting from a movement and functionality perspective. But most of your programming is going to be posterior dominant. So a lot of glute, a lot of hamstring work for your legs. Um, and then the rest is going to be mainly upper body because when you run, you still are pretty anterior dominant. Um, and when you're in that, uh, fight or flight position, your, your flexors tighten. So most people tend to round, they don't have really 
good positive posture while they're running. It's just natural, um, which is fine, but that means you're probably going to want to do a lot of horizontal rowing as well. A lot of upper back work, a lot of pulls, um, a little bit of pull downs, but more like horizontal pulling. So like driving your elbow low cable rows, driving your elbow high cable rows, band pull aparts, one arm dumbbell rows, chest supported rows, things like that. Um, reverse flies. And then you can do some, obviously some isolation work for your chest, for your arms, for your shoulders, stuff like that, abs. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly think you could cut your volume down in half and be totally fine. So if you were doing, let's say an upper lower split and you were hitting every muscle group, 10 to 12 uh, sets per week per muscle, you could drop that down to like five to six sets per muscle group per week and do half as many days in the gym twice a week. And you should be fine. Um, this one is probably from Instagram too. Jilly Bean 390. Hey, have been listening to your podcast and it has changed my life and I have a new whole, whole new perspective on uh, nutrition and fitness. I fucking love that. Thank you, Jelly Bean. Uh, my question, and by the way, I don't think anybody knows this. Besides Halloween, when I love mellow cream pumpkins, which are basically candy corns that are massive and shaped in the size of a pumpkin, jelly beans are by far my favorite candy. By far. Um, probably the Starburst jelly beans. Those are so ridiculously good. But anyway, you just remind me because your name is Jelly Bean. I do Stairmaster slash bike 20 to 25 minutes before each workout, circuit-based cardio intervals. It gets my heart rate up and the sweat going to help me in the workout. If I were to take some of this cardio out and add a little bit more lifting, would I have to change my calories? I'm currently in maintenance. Um, it depends on your goal. I, I pro So like if your goal is to lose fat, I would say no. Just leave your calories at maintenance. I think – what you'll notice is like short term, temporarily, you will burn less calories. So like per workout, if you're wearing some kind of like uh, HRV or Fitbit or anything like that, you might notice that you actually burn less calories if you drop that cardio down a bit uh, in that session. But over time, the positive effect on your metabolism and the positive effect of building muscle, I think you will burn more calories long term. I don't, And I don't think you'll notice the calorie expenditure difference either because I do, your body adapts pretty pretty well to cardio, meaning the more cardio you do, the less calories you burn in cardio. Um, that's why it's important to change cardio up. You can't just continuously do cardio forever and expect the same results um, without progressing it, and you can't just keep progressing it forever. But that's also why I don't think, like if you were to do uh, the Stairmaster, let's say, for 20 to 25 minutes um, every day for six months, I don't think the calorie expenditure that your heart rate monitor shows is going to be accurate. And I may be wrong on that because if it's based on HRV, maybe it adjusts with that adaptation. But I have a hard time believing that it's going to be completely accurate after your body starts to get used to it and adapts to it. Um, but I do not think you have to change your calories unless you want to build muscle. So you can be pretty intuitive about this. So so what I would do is like if you stop doing as much cardio and you start doing more uh, strength training, I would leave your calories at maintenance and see if your body and your biofeedback go in the positive direction. So if you start burning more fat and that's what you want, don't touch your calories. It's working. Keep going. Um, if you want to build more muscle and it starts happening and you start recomping, great. Keep going. If you start strength training and you notice that you're not really going either direction, let's say you're just staying where you're at, but you are really sore. You're not performing as well. You're having a hard time progressing in the gym. Maybe you're not sleeping as well. Then I would increase your calories because you're not uh, supporting the recovery demands that your body needs now because it does take more to recover from 
strength training than cardio typically. So you, if anything, you might need to add calories and increase your calories as you go. The only time I would say you wouldn't want to increase your calories if you're adding more strength training is really just if, if your goal is fat loss, because we know if you just, if you add calories, you're probably not going to lose weight unless the, unless you're brand new to lifting and you switch to lifting and it's, it's that dramatic of an effect, then obviously there's going to be a big difference. Cheryl, hey Cody, I am a nutrition coach, but also am working on tweaking my own nutrition and also want to learn a little bit more about protein intake requirements. The standard 0.8 to 1 gram per pound is usually good for most. Do you ever find athletes, super lean individuals, or other populations that eat more and thrive? My question is for myself. I feel like I don't eat enough protein, meaning when I eat, it's like never a substantial amount. And I often feel like I'm restricting my amounts of it because I will go over at the end of the day. I eat a lot of whole foods, all of which have some residual protein in them. You recently had a guest who spoke on eating upwards of 300 grams of protein a day. I've been struggling to get stronger despite performance being good in other areas. I'm just hesitant to raise my protein because it's often looked at like it's unnecessary or taking away from other nutrients, aka carbs, fats. I'm 124 pounds, 10% body fat, CrossFit Games athlete, training two to four days hours a day, current macros, 440 carbs, 75 fat, 140 to 150 protein, just recently changed this from 130 to 140. Um, so here's what I would say. Um, the individual who was eating 300 grams of protein, he was not getting more benefits from eating that much protein. Um, he doesn't weigh 300 pounds, um, but it's not hurting him. That's the big thing. Um, and, and there is a difference. Like if he were to say, okay, I'm just going to cut out 100 grams of protein and add 100 grams carbs. I, I can't say that that wouldn't affect his physique because the thermic effect of carbs and protein is different and the body's ability to store carbs as fat versus protein is different. So if he was to cut 100 grams of protein out, I do not think he would be able to sustain his level of leanness and add 100 grams carbs. So calories, not calories, period. Um, that being said, if you're 124 pounds and you're training that hard and, and you're having a tough time staying at that protein, I have no problem bringing you up higher. I would go up upwards of 1.5. I don't really like to go over 1.5 grams per pound. Um, I just don't think it's necessary. And I mean, for somebody like you, that's 186 grams of protein. That's quite a bit of protein. I don't think you need that much. I, I typically like my athletes to be, uh, my, my female athletes, I like between 1.1 and 1.3 grams per pound, typically. Um, it gives them more than enough protein to properly function, have satiety, feel like they're eating enough food, um, bring general calories up, uh, and make sure they're recovering. I mean, you're, you're a super athlete, period. You're a... Uh, CrossFit Games competitor, you train two to four hours per day. That's not normal. That's not a normal person. And most studies showing 0 0.8 to 1 grams per pound at best are showing individuals who train once a day for 45 minutes to an hour and a half, maybe, doing like an upper-lower split four days a week. It's not super athletes that are doing these studies. It's just not. And, and we can't expect that. Like how many CrossFit Games athletes would allow people to manipulate all their training, all their sleep, all their daily schedule, all their nutrition just for a study? None of them. Fuck, I wouldn't even do that. So I think it's we have to take those with a grain of salt. Um, I think 1.5 is the utmost that you could possibly go. Um, and I think the added benefit there is to ensure that you're hitting protein synthesis um, properly with bioavailable protein. So basically making sure that you're getting enough protein per meal from dairy, meat, fish, stuff like that. Eggs, high leucine content protein, good amino acid profiles on non-plant-based stuff. 
I think that's the only benefit of it. It's making sure you hit that muscle protein synthesis threshold from the right sources and that you're satiated in your diet, usually during a deficit. As you increase carbs and fats, you are consuming more protein-sparing nutrients. Therefore, you actually don't need as much. However, I still like to make sure that you're getting about 0.8 to 1 gram per pound of bioavailable protein. So what that means for you is that after all the carbs, after all the fats, you are still getting about a gram per pound of protein from dairy, fish, meat, eggs, whey protein, right? And, And the reason I say that is because if you're eating 440 grams of carbs and 75 grams of fat, and then we take out the protein. Let's say we, we remove the protein from uh, the oats you ate, the rice you ate, the sweet potatoes you ate, the beans and the vegetables and the Brussels and the peanut butter and things like that. We're going to get a good amount of protein from those sources, and those are non-bioavailable. They're not as anabolic. They're still going to help you with muscle building. They're still going to have a loose – they're going to have some amino acids in there, but their amino acid profile is very poor, and it's not going to give us the same effect as steak or fish or cottage cheese or Greek yogurt and things like that would. So at that point, I like to ignore those and get 0.8 to 1 gram per pound of body weight in protein from these bioavailable sources I'm speaking of. Usually that ends up having people at around 1.1 to 1.3 grams per pound of body weight when they are already lean. So if I have an obese individual, completely different story. If I have somebody who wants to lose 20 plus pound, completely different story. But for somebody who's not trying to lose any weight, who is as lean as you and who is as athletic as you, I probably would bump up protein. Um, I think 140 to 160 is a perfect range for you and I don't see there's any problem with that whatsoever. Um, When people say it's unnecessary, they are speaking on the logic of you going from 130 grams of protein to 160 will not add more muscle. And that's true. You're not going to add slabs of muscle from adding those 30 grams of protein. It's unnecessary in the sense that you are not going to accumulate more muscle tissue just because you ate more protein. Um, However, it is necessary because it keeps you satiated. It makes your meals more enjoyable. It's ensuring you're getting enough amino acid rich foods in every meal to spike muscle protein synthesis for better recovery. And at the end of the day, those calories are going to be burned quick because the thermic effect is high and you're training so hard. We don't have to worry about storing fat from adding 30 grams of protein. So I I see no reason not to. I think you'll be totally fine. The only situation with athletes that I don't like doing that is if um, certain proteins leave them bloated or feeling gassy or having digestive stress because if you're not digesting well, you're not absorbing well. If you're not absorbing well, you're not utilizing nutrients well. That's the only time I will bring protein down. Um, I've brought protein down for a a lighter female right around your size to about one gram per pound um, because we were at 1.2, I think, and we lowered her to one gram per pound. So I think she was sitting at 160 and we brought it down to 130 grams of protein per day and it was just because of digestion and it helped and so now she can better utilize the nutrients she's taking in so that's the only time but i hope that helps andrea when taking berberin should dose remain the same on very low carb days should dose be the same in a deficit and surplus so dose should definitely be the same in a deficit Eh, I, i shouldn't say that i was gonna say it should be the same in a deficit for surplus but that's not true Um, I don't think it matters. So you're not going to have a negative side effect from taking the same dose in a deficit compared to surplus. However, typically in a deficit, you're not consuming as many carbs. Therefore, you might not have as many meals with starchy carbs in it. And if you're not consuming a meal with starchy carbs in it, it's kind of pointless to take berberin. Berberin is a glucose disposal agent. So the best time to take it is with a starchy carb meal because it's going to help regulate your blood sugars better while consuming those carbohydrates. It's going to help insulin sensitivity. There's other health and longevity 
benefits of berberine and metformin, which is a prescription grade that has equal um, benefits or, or equal um, kind of results as berberine does um, based on research. Um, but I don't think your dose should be the same on very low carb days just because you're not eating as many carbs. So it, it depends on a couple things. Now, if you're eating 400 grams of carbs a day and your low carb day is 200 grams, you might have the same dose because at the end of the day, you take 400 to 500 milligram pill with each meal. Um, and you don't want to go over 2,500 or 3,000, I think. So let's say you're eating five meals a day, 400 grams of carbs, and you have one pill per meal. Okay. 200 grams of carbs. You have four meals, 200 grams of carbs. You might have one less pill because you have one less meal. Or if you have the same amount of meals and you have carbs in every meal still because your low-carb day is still relatively decent in carbohydrates, you'll still probably take the same dose. The only time your dose will lower in a deficit or on low-carb days is if your carbohydrates lower and therefore your meals containing carbohydrates lower. You just don't need as many berberin. You take a berberin supplement with a starchy meal. Um, I don't advise taking it post-workout either. So for me, I take it with my first meal, which is usually – lately it's been – uh, this mash of Greek yogurt, some kind of berries. So I usually rotate between raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, strawberries. Just every time I go shopping, I get a different one. Um, and then uh, oats. And I mix it all up in a big bowl. Um, I take bourbon for that. I do not take bourbon with my post-workout meal. And then I take bourbon with my third meal of the day, um, which has starch in it. And then I take bourbon with my dinner if there is starch in it. Sometimes there's not starch in my dinner. So it kind of depends. Um, but you just want to take it with low, or uh, with your starchy meals. And if the amount of starchy meals you have changes based on the day being low carb or uh, being in a bigger deficit, that's the only time your dose would change. Carmen Spitzer. Is there a difference in suggested macros for chronic ill people, especially Hashimoto's disease? Still working out as much as chronic illness allows, about six times per week for one hour. Some people suggest more protein for healing, more fat for hormonal health, more carbs for adrenal function. What would be your suggestion? Also, would you program? how would you program training? Some people say strength is, training is best. Others think HIT is best. Thanks so much. So I, I really can't answer this very well, to be honest with you, because the reason some people want carbs, some people want more fat, some people suggest more protein, some people suggest more strength training, some people suggest just do HIT. It's because it depends on every individual is different. Um, HIT and strength training are going to have the same proponent. The reason this is important is because it's uh, going to help improve insulin sensitivity. Um, I don't I don't change training too much based on Hashimoto's. Um, I'm most likely going to do three to four strength days per week if the goal is fat loss, and there are going to be strength dominant days with a high intensity finisher. The days in between, we're going on a walk and we're optimizing low intensity cardio, probably in a fasted state arguably helpful for uh, in, um, metabolic flexibility to use more fat as fuel, quote-unquote. Um, but I do think there's some benefit to doing fast in the morning, fast cardio in the morning. So for somebody that I'm training with Hashimoto's disease, um, and I've this is how I've literally done it with every client I've worked with, which is more than you would think because um, it's not an uncommon thing at all, is I'm probably going to go with four days a week of strength training with a hit finisher and then two to three days a week of just casual walking first thing in the morning on a fasted stomach. Um, as far as nutrition goes, it all depends on the individual. I'm almost always going to have a higher protein diet because the thermic effect of food is higher. The likelihood of it storing as body fat is low. And usually it's really easy with food intolerances. And a lot of people who have Hashimoto's also struggle with a lot of different food intolerances. So it's hard for them to eat certain foods, gluten, dairy, legumes, stuff like that. Um, not always, but pretty common. Um, in meat, eggs, and fish is almost always a go. 
um, with most people with any autoimmune related disease, but specifically Hashimoto's for this question. So I typically like to have a higher protein diet because it's just easy and it's almost guaranteed to be totally fine and, and function well and, and support fat loss better. Um, so that's a guarantee. As far as fat for hormonal health, carbs for adrenal function, both are right. I like a balanced diet. I might carb cycle a little bit, have higher fat, low carb days on the low intensity days, have a higher carb, lower fat on the uh, strength training days. But there's a lot of there's a lot of supporting evidence for um, not necessarily Hashimoto's, but thyroid dysfunction in general in women that says you know fats are important for hormonal health. But there's also some evidence that shows like if you don't consume any or enough carbs, you're also going to not support the thyroid in the metabolism, which is going to make the Hashimoto's worse and make weight loss hard. So I tend to like enough fats to support hormonal health, which is probably going to be just above the bare minimum. And it allows me to have some flexibility in giving them specific fats I want them to consume while still allowing some freedom for them to choose the fats that they want to consume. But uh, I mean, I want to make sure that they're getting the right balance of, of saturated poly and monounsaturated fats. I want to make sure they're getting an official. I want to make sure they're getting the right types of fats in their diet from the right food sources. Um, and then I also want to leave enough room for carbs. So we can't go full blown keto or super low carb and super high fat all the time because then it doesn't give me enough room to have, and this is like what works really well with most of them is to have a low to moderate amount of carbohydrates in every meal. So instead of me saying, Hey, you have 200 grams carbs today, eat them how you want. And the person eats three meals a day. Two of them have barely anything in the one car, one meal, super full of carbs. Um, it's probably going to work better if we say, hey, you have 200 grams of carbs to work with. I want you to consume five meals and I want you to distribute those carbs perfectly even throughout the day. So every meal has this like protein, carb, fat, balance, protein, fat, fiber kind of thing going on in every single meal. And it's very balanced and it's, a, it's not a lot. So they might be only consuming 20 to 35 grams of carbs in a meal. So it's not a ton of food. It's not a ton of rice or sweet potato or anything, but it's a little bit. And it kind of gives them that dose dependent response um, throughout the day. So personally, I think there is a difference. Um, it, it, when you get into this situation, you kind of get into the weeds. So the macro prescription might not be too different. I might give you a balanced macro plan that gives you enough fats, enough carbs, enough protein. It's kind of basic, whatever. Strength training and hit, yes. Uh, more walking as well. But within the macros is where I start to tweak things for people with Hashimoto's, specific foods, specific balancing of fats, when you're consuming the foods, how you're distributing these throughout the day, and things like that. I think that's the biggest proponent. Cheryl has another question. Uh, I hope I'm not asking too many questions. Haha, <laughs> not at all. Um, send as many of these things as you want. So I've been trying to get more focused and dialed in on content creation and education. Where do you find the inspiration for your content? What resources do you look to for education? Um, oh, that's hard. Um, I look to my clients, uh, and the questions I get on Instagram quite a bit. So what are people commenting? What are people asking me? What are people DMing me? What are my clients saying? What are my clients struggling with? Um, what is my team? Uh, what are their clients? Cause like on the team, we kind of work as a unit. So we have meetings and we discuss and, and I'm reviewing client prescriptions and stuff like that with my team. So we're kind of all in the loop and I'm, I'm guiding them. So what are they going through? What are their clients saying? Um, what am I reading? Right, right now I'm reading the hungry brain. So there's a lot of behavior change. I'm listening to auto, uh, atomic habits. Another one, a lot about habits and behavior change. So those things inspire my content creation. Um, who am I interviewing? I just interviewed uh, Danny Lennon and we had a really good conversation. Like, what do we talk about? What is provoking my mind? What just came out on mass research review? Um, what has been the latest Stronger by Science article, Stronger by Science podcast? What is the latest documentary? What are the latest fads? What, like, what are people talking about? So 
I just kind of surround myself with tons of content and education and information. Um, I just finished uh, the Flex Diet certification. So I'm a certified Flex Diet specialist or, or I think that's what it's called um, with Dr. Mike T. Nelson. So what did I learn inside the flexible dieting, uh, flexible metabolic flexibility certification course? Um, I'm going to interview him on my podcast now. What am I learning from that? Um, it's just, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm just constantly going through things. I'm taking the test for MNU right now. Um, so... What did I learn through the Mac Nutrition? Well, I haven't started the test. I'm actually late. Honestly, this <laughs> shit has been crazy late, and I actually had to pay a uh, retest fee because I've been so busy and I wasn't able to take the final test inside of MNU. And they emailed me, and I was like, "Yes, I will. I will take the test. I'll pay the refee, retest fee." But point it being, Mac Nutrition University. What did I learn in that course? What did I learn in PN? What did I learn in NCI? What did I learn in the performance enhancement specialist? What did I learn in flex diet? Like I, I've taken all these certification courses and this is why. What am I learning in the uh, research reviews and the um, coaching circles that I pay for and I'm a part of and the discussions I have with my clients? Like I think you just have to surround yourself with shit and that's that's my motivation is I listen to the people. I listen to my followers. I listen to my clients. I listen to my team. Um, I read books every day. I listen to information on nutrition, training, mindset, behavior change, success, entrepreneurship. I, I listen. I absorb content every day. Nobody's out here trying to reinvent the wheel. Nobody has created something by themselves for the first time. So for me, it's like let me take in all this great stuff and let me put my own spin on it and decide what I want to do with it. And then I create content out of it. And I try to do it in a way where I can interpret it for people that, who follow me to get the most benefit from. Um, so that's kind of where I get my inspiration. Um, what resources I look to for education are usually certification courses and books um, and then research reviews. Those are kind of my, my go-tos. Um, podcasts as well. Um, but I, I'm a, I listen to more audiobooks on like mindset and stuff than I do podcasts, to be honest with you. I read a lot of books on training and nutrition and I'm a part of a lot of certification courses. I'm constantly trying to get certified in different things. Um, and then obviously like there's different research reviews and, and journals that I, that I go to for research studies that are coming out. Um, but yeah, and then my motive behind it all is honestly just like, this is my, my thing. I don't know. It's hard for me to answer that question because you know, my why like I have a why that is like my wife and daughter, like I do everything for them. But then I also have a why for the pain I went through when I was overweight, when I was insecure, when I lacked confidence, when I just wanted some abs, when I just wanted my arms to look better, when I wanted my shirts to fit better, when I like everything, when I wanted to take my shirt off and feel comfortable, like I remember what that pain felt like. And for me, I know that like the way I got out of that was actually first content. I absorbed other people's content to help me start to transform. And then second, once I got to a point where I could no longer get great results through content because I was past that point, I hired a coach and they helped me. Um, and that's my why. Like I want to give people the same feeling I got when I transformed my body, I found health and I literally shifted every single aspect of my entire life. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, 
head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the nutrition hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.